0: I'm Wayne Brock, and this is my wife Connie. Uh, We got married in 1953, so we've been married a little over 58 years. We were uh, sitting in a a, I'll call it a restaurant, a place where me and some friends and her friends was at, and uh, I just popped out. I said, why don't we just get married? And she said, okay. And I said, You want to get married now? And she said, Yeah. So uh, we got in the car and took off for Arkansas to get married. I was 16 and Wayne was 19, and this other couple was with us. And I don't really know how the marriage thing started, but he did. He just asked me, he said, "Do you want to get married?" And I said, "Sure." <laughs> and so that was the proposal and my answer. And we took off for Arkansas, and um, and we when we. Finally, found a judge that would um, give us a license. He knew that we were lying because I was supposed to be 18, and he was supposed to be 22. And so, anyway, um, he gave us the license. But he said, if I find out you guys are lying to me, he said, I'm really going to stick it to you. We tried three or four places in between, but they let us know we needed a marriage license and a. <laughs> a blood test, so uh, we had to keep going until we found somebody to marry us. And we tried to hide it from my mother because she would have killed me. (laughs) And me.
1: (laughs) Isn't that great? I have enjoyed that all four times. And what's really cool is Wayne and Connie are here. Wayne and Connie, would you wave? If you haven't had a chance to meet the Brocks, you need to meet them. They are just super delightful. Wayne, how long have you guys been at New Spring? 75 and uh, about 36 years. Wow. Uh, they've been here longer than just about anybody else. And um, Wayne is on our board. And I, a thing I love so much about Wayne is Wayne is like, if you know your Bible, Wayne is like a Joshua or Caleb in the sense that he's got the wisdom of the years, but he's still wanting bold objectives for God like a young man, and and he's somebody I lean on a lot, and so Wayne, what a joy to have you and Connie here at New Spring, and I love the story there, I'm sorry that you told a fib. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're in a series right now that's called Vows, and I'm going to tell you a little bit, this is more than you want to know, but... um, For those of you who are new Springers and you're used to me coming out with series and stuff, you would enjoy getting onto my, looking at my documents on my computer because most of the time I'll have a file for a series, but then there will be another file with the same name that's called, like, take for instance, um, if you were to, like, take uh, Going Pro, which we did. You'd see Going Pro and all the sermons underneath it and research the idea for Going Pro, but there would be a file called Going Pro Workup, which would be something about a year or so ago when I first had the idea for the series, and I'd start just throwing ideas in that file. So uh, with Vows, I was looking, you know, my documents yesterday, and and I found the file that said Vows Workup, and I thought, well, what was I thinking when I started this series. I had the idea for this series, and so I opened it up, and the only thing that was in the workup was uh, television show titles. Do you know how many television show titles or television shows there are about weddings? Well, let me read some of them to you. Say Yes to the Dress, you know. uh, My Big Friggin' Wedding, My Fair Wedding, Bridezilla's. I've never seen that, but I bet that's interesting. PLC weddings, rules of engagement, the real wedding crashers, rich bride, poor bride, buff brides. <laughs> I really had to check this next one out to see if it was really true. Bulging brides. <laughs> wedding SOS, whose wedding is it anyway? I propose, rock the reception, engaged and underage, platinum weddings. And another one that I really would be open to seeing, even though I don't care much for this kind of show, my big redneck wedding. (laughs) See, I got the idea for this series. Ladies, you need to understand, every once in a while, flipping channels is a good thing, because I was flipping channels when I got the idea for this series. Mary Alice groans when I do that, but the thing about flipping channels is you can watch everything. And... (laughs) So I, I must have come across one of these wedding shows, and I got thinking about it. And let me, let me tell you what, what got me started. In, in 33 years of pastoring, I've done hundreds of weddings here at this campus, our old campus, various other places, other churches that I've served. And, and, and I, love, I love weddings, because weddings are joyous and they're beautiful. But the thing that got me concerned and, and what, what led us into this series called Vows is, is I've watched couples... When they prepare for a wedding, when they plan for a wedding, it's pretty much about the big, well, the four F's, flowers, fashion, food, and festivity. When, when someone says, how are you coming with your wedding planning? We're usually talking about flowers, fashion, food, or festivities, and, and there's nothing wrong with those, and they're glorious, and they're wonderful, and the dresses, and the flowers, and the food, and all of that is great unless you're the bride's dad. I mean, all that stuff is just wonderful. But what I've been concerned about is I've watched people make preparation for all that stuff and not prepare for what a wedding is really about. A wedding is about promises a wedding is about vows. And here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that very few people really prepare to make the promises that they're going to make in a wedding. And here's something that you and I need to be clear on, is that the promises that we make at a wedding are not just promises made to each other. Well, that's significant enough. But those are promises that are made to God. In our culture, God is kind of like you know, not not at New Spring, but I'm talking about in our Western culture, if you believe in God, he's sort of a distracted person somewhere out there in the universe who's not really that involved in our lives, who doesn't really watch very carefully, and he definitely would not judge us. Hey, time out for a moment. When we say, I don't want to be judged... Do we ever think about what we mean by that? If what we're saying is we don't want people to think badly about us and to draw conclusions that are unreasonable, absolutely. But sometimes when we say, I don't want to be judged, what we're really saying is I don't want to be confronted about unhealthy behavior that I know is wrong. And that won't work with God because as much as God loves us, God lo- he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And when we make promises at a wedding, we need to realize that God is listening to those promises. Let me read to you some scripture from the book of Malachi. And the book of Malachi is kind of an interesting book. Chances are when you open your Bible to read, you're probably not going to go to Malachi. Malachi was in the Old Testament. Actually, it's the last book of the Old Testament. And in Malachi, God was bringing judgment upon his own people because they had flipped him off time after time after time. And finally, God, you know, until they could see the light, God turned up the heat. And then the people got upset with God. And it was like, well, why are you, why are you doing this to us? Why, why are you letting us suffer? And so God is saying, okay, I, I'm going to tell you. And let me read this to you. This is in Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. And God says, another thing you do. A lot of us husbands are used to hearing our wives say that, right? Another thing you do. Imagine hearing that from God. Another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and well because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why. Look at this. It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. God said, hey, buddy, you made some promises to that gal, and and you found some baby you liked more, and you left the wife of your youth, and God is saying, the reason why life is not working for you is, I saw that. So t- today we want to talk about the vows, and we've, we've already looked at three. The first weekend, Jonathan brought the vow, I take you, which is an important vow. That's the first thing a minister says or judge, whoever does the wedding. Do you take this woman? Do you take this man? And when you choose that person, that's a seminal moment, because basically, even though there are three and a half billion people, the right gender in the world for you, this is the one you chose. I choose you. Week two, I talked about to have and to hold, the importance of belonging and sex, and then week 3, Jonathan brought you the talk to love and to cherish the importance of love and respect. Today I want to bring to you a talk. Well, it's the shortest title of any talk that I've brought in almost 40 years. The title of today's sermon is just or, two wor- two letters, O R, or as in for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness or in health, in good or bad. Just that or in the middle. I love weddings because weddings are joyous occasions. And sometimes I think to myself, I have the best seat in the house. I get to stand right in front of the bride and the groom. And I love the joy of the moment. And sometimes the, I, just, I just so enjoy watching the bride and groom look at each other you know, they prepared for the wedding, and, and now the moment has come, and they just, you know, the bride is magnificently beautiful, and the groom is all clean and dressed in a tux, and they're just looking at each other's eyes. That's a, that's a wonderful moment, and I get to be just a few inches away. Or I love to watch them after the lighting of the unity candle, the pouring of the unity sand because usually there's a song during that time and I kind of coach the couple just to stand there and hold hands and look at each other's eyes and I get to be right there. It is beautiful, it is joyous, we love weddings but I always feel like there's one moment where everything should just stop and become deathly quiet and it's this vow. It is when the man looks at the woman and says I take you for better or worse. (laughs) Whenever I'm preaching a funeral, I have a very different kind of challenge because at a funeral, everything looks bad. And my job at a funeral is to say to the people who are there who are Christ followers, it won't always look this bad. It won't always be this sad. There's a God, there's a heaven, there's a future. there's a family reunion coming where we'll never be parted again. See, at a funeral, my job is to when everything looks bad, my job is to say, "Hey, it won't always be that this bad." Unfortunately, at a wedding, when everything is so gloriously fun, my job at a wedding is to say, "Hold on just a moment. It won't always be this much fun. It won't always look this good. It won't always be about fashion and flowers and food and festivities. At some point, it's going to be worse. There will be days when it's not fun. There will be months when it's not fun, perhaps. There will be seasons. And what I ask the groom and the bride to promise to each other is when those days come, when those months come, when those seasons come, I ask them to promise to say, I stay. I stay. That's very big. Because you and I know that in 2011 we live in a very different culture. We live in a culture that says, hey, the only reason to get married is to find somebody who will make you happy and meet your needs. when they quit making you happy and meeting your needs, goodbye, I'm out of here, I'm going to find somebody else. These are very different vows. Okay, I want to give you four thoughts and then we'll go home. Because when I think about for better or for worse, I think about four things. With this first thing, I need to ask all of you married to just plug up your ears and not listen to this next part, okay? So just zone out if you need to check your email or something if you're married, because frankly, it's too late for you. I need to talk to singles for a few moments, okay? Okay, when we say for better, for worse, obviously we're not worried about better, <laughs> because that's what we hope for. You know, if you get married and all of a sudden everything in your life is better and, you know, you get more money, you live in a bigger house, you drive better cars, the sex is great, you guys have a perfect time from morning to night, everything is better, you don't worry about that. What we worry about is when it gets worse, and worse is going to come. Now, for all of you who are single, I want to make the point this morning that worse comes from two places, very different places. Sometimes worse comes inadvertently. It's not caused. It's not premeditated. The other person couldn't do anything about it. Your your husband or wife got sick, got laid off, had some issues with mental health. That can happen, and it's inadvertent. It wasn't caused. We'll push that aside for a moment. But let's be honest about it. Sometimes worse is going to be caused by the person you marry. That's, that's going to happen with every single one of us. Your partner causes it. Now, singles, here's what I want to challenge you to think about. You are going to marry an imperfect person, but I want to challenge you to look carefully at the person you're thinking about marrying and ask yourself this question that I'll repeat in just a moment. Am I comfortable making this promise to this person? Sometimes we're in such a hurry to get married, we don't take a very good look. I know the last few weeks I've been doing a lot of traveling and speaking in different places, and I've had to fly and rent cars. And I hate flying. You know what it's like flying out of Wichita? There's, always, there's never a direct flight from any place in Wichita. So you always have a layover, and you, know, you, know, you spend all day flying, and you finally get to your destination, and you get your baggage, you ride the shuttle to the rent car place. Then you have to stand in line and wait for them to call your name. And then when you finally get up there, you have to initial 46 times that, no, you don't want their insurance. And yes, I'll bring the car back full and all that. And finally, I get out to the place where I get to my economy car and I see freedom. I can see the exit. And I'm thinking just a few more feet away and I can drive out of this place and get on with the rest of my life. But there's always that moment when I get the key in my hand, I'm standing at the car, and the attendant there, either at the gate or someplace, says, they'll, they'll hand me like a little diagram that's got a you know picture of the car, and they say, go around the car and see if there's any damage, and if there is, mark it. Now, as much as I'm in a hurry to get out of there, I always go over that real carefully, because singles, here's what I understand. Once I drive it off the parking lot, I'm responsible. And all I'm saying is this, take a good look because a lot of times, here's what happens. Singles, when they're dating or you know, when they're even getting close to getting married, they're in such a hurry to get out of the gate that, that they don't take a real good look and they go ahead and make this promise real quickly, oh, for better or for worse. And then when your partner causes problems that we should have seen coming, we say, oh, I'm surprised. All I'm saying is take a look at the junk in the trunk. Take a look at the baggage. You know, if he's declared bankruptcy twice, if he's got his credit cards all charged up and he's three months late on minimum payments, don't act surprised when poorer comes. <laughs> if she cheated on you when you were dating, if he had anger issues with other people in his life, You know, And again, this is my cue to say nobody's perfect. This is my cue to say that marriage happens with an imperfect person in an imperfect world. And and, and, and when I talk about junk in the trunk, how many of us have it? We all have it. We all have baggage. We all are imperfect. And yeah, it's an imperfect world. But all I'm asking is this. Before you get married, ask yourself this question. Can I make this promise to this person? If I say for better or for worse... Am I comfortable promising this man this promise? Okay, married people, you can listen up again, okay? Yeah, for worse. Some of it's going to be inadvertent, some of it's going to be caused. What do you do when your partner causes worse? See, our culture says if your partner's, in, in, time out, okay? I want to make one thing very clear. I'm not talking about serial infidelity, and I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking, when I talk about worse, we're not talking about those two things. Those are deal breakers. And so for the time being, we'll push, uh, we'll push infidelity, and we'll push abuse off the table because I would never ask you to stay. Nobody in his right mind would ask you to stay in a situation where you're dealing with those things. That's a different ballgame. What I'm talking about is normal, run-of-the-mill, everyday stuff that men and women do to irritate each other. What do you do when the person that you're married to causes the worst? Well, thankfully, God answers that question for us, and the answer is forgiveness. I don't know of any way to stay married or have any kind of long-term relationship without forgiveness. And by that, I don't mean that we keep a a box somewhere where where we remember everything the person has done to us, and the next time we get agitated, we bring out everything that's been done. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about letting it go. One of the greatest verses in the Bible that gives us balance on forgiveness comes from the gospel of Luke, directly from the mouth of Jesus. Here's what he said, and husbands and wives, check this out and see what you think about this. If another believer sins... Just make that if your wife sins, if your husband sins. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day, somebody's saying, Jesus knew my husband. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day, and each time turns around and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. Here's, here's when I say balance, here's what I mean. Did you notice the two verbs that Jesus used? He said, rebuke and forgive. And you say, okay, rebuke. That means I get to tell him what a jerk he is. No, that's not what it means exactly. I can't think of how to put this into English very well. But it's something like this. When someone hurts you, Jesus said, you have right and reason to explain how expensive that was. In effect, he was saying, you have a right not to present a bill, but it's pretty close to that. You have a right to say, that hurt. See, the Lord is not saying, if somebody hurts you, just pretend it didn't happen. God's not wanting you to live in denial. He's saying it's okay to say to her, that hurt, or to him, you know, that bruised me. That made me feel small. I like that. The Lord said, let them know how expensive it was. And then forgive, which means to release them from the debt. So today, when you say for better or for worse, you realize that your partner is going to do some things that hurt. But you say that hurt, and if they repent, you say, I release you from that. Okay, let's take the other one. This one's pretty easy. What do you do if, if worse comes and it's nobody's fault? it's not your husband's fault he got laid off it's not your wife's fault that she contracted that illness you know it's not it's not your fault that one of the kids just went haywire and went crazy well, what do you do if it's inadvertent well that's when you share life to me one of the ugliest things that i've seen and i've seen this a few times one of the ugliest things i've seen in life is when In a marriage, something went very wrong with one person, they didn't have anything to do with it, and the other person just said, it's too difficult to stay in this marriage. I'm out. Well, this is my cue to go to number two. See, the thing about this vow for better or for worse, it's the it's the unselfish vow. You know, when when I say I take, when I said to Mary Alice, I take you, that was still selfish. I was very fortunate to get Mary Alice. To have and to hold, who doesn't like sex? I mean, to love and to cherish, that can still be somewhat personal. But when I say, in case it's worse, I stay, that's an unselfish vow. That's when I'm saying, being with you is so important that if being with you causes my life to be worse than it is right now, I stay and I don't leave. I just feel compelled to say this one more time. In 2011 America, the idea of marriage is find someone who makes you happy, find someone who makes you laugh, find someone who solves your problems. That's not what a healthy marriage is. There's several models of selfish marriage. Here's one, especially when independent people get together and they've been independent for a long time, sometimes the idea is, well, I deal with my problems, you deal with your problems. These are my issues. I take responsibility for my own issues. She takes responsibility for her issues. You guys are two people living in the same house, sharing bills, having sex, but at the same time, it's like she deals with her issues, I deal with my issues. That's a selfish marriage. Another model for selfish marriage is we deal with my issues. This is a taker who gets married. I got married because I need somebody else to help me with my problems. I married her to solve my problems. I married him because I wanted more income. I married her, or you know, for this reason, I married him because I wanted to have kids. We deal with my issues. Or another aspect of this is if you're a giver, maybe you marry a taker, and the model of your marriage is we are here to deal with your issues. All those are selfish models. But well, when two people look at each other and say, I take you for better or for worse, what they're saying is, you don't have issues and I don't have issues, we have issues. Your issues are my issues, my issues are your issues. We are here to deal with our issues. Jonathan brought a great talk on First Wednesday about dealing with conflict. And and one of the most powerful things you can do to deal with conflict conflict constructively is not to talk about hey you have a problem but it's what can we do to work on our issues. So, oh boy, this is a this is probably ground zero of of the sermon today. How does this work? In a practical sense, I think it works like this, guys. You look at your wife and look at the burden that she's carrying, and you say to her and mean it from your heart, what can I do to help you carry your load? What can I do to lighten your load? There are marriages here today that can be revolutionized, transformed. If a guy would just take a look at the burdens that his wife is carrying and saying, what can I do to help shoulder your load? There are marriages here today that could do a 180 if a wife would just look at the load her husband is carrying and say to him, what can I do to help carry your load? Hey, that's what the Bible teaches. In Galatians chapter 6, look at this. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. God is saying, share your burdens. And and one thing I love about the Bible is a lot of times God tells us something and He knows how we're going to react to it. So He puts a second comment in there to deal with our reaction. Look at this share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Tell us what you really think, God. You see what I'm saying? He knew what we would say. Because I mean it's like, well, I'm too busy to help her. I've got my own load. She's just, you know, she needs to carry her load. I carry my load. Well, it could be that somebody will say, well, Mark, now listen, I'm still I'm still not sold on this. Because I think that my wife just a lot of stuff that she has to deal with, I shouldn't have to think about. When, do I, when does it cross the line? Well, thankfully, God lets us know at what point we need to be engaged in bearing somebody else's burden. Okay, let me read this to you from the book of Exodus. If you see that the donkey of someone who hates you has collapsed under its load, do not walk by. Instead, stop and help. If you've got to help the donkey of somebody who hates you, you can be sure you're supposed to help your wife and your husband. By the way, did you catch that in that verse? God said, don't walk by. How many of us in marriages today, husbands, we just walk right by a hurting wife. We walk right by a hurting husband. It's his problem. It's her problem. Not in a healthy marriage. In a healthy marriage, we share. Okay. Here's the third thing, and to me, this is the most interesting of the four points. Because when we talk about for better or for worse, the, the point I want to bring up now is that when two people have that promise working, things are automatically better. You know, if 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 you look at your bride and say, I'm I'm here no matter what, for better or for worse, things are going to be better. If you say, I'm out of here at the first sign of trouble, things are gonna automatically be worse. I want you to imagine two kinds of marriages. Imagine a marriage where two people say, I have a commitment to you that isn't based on circumstances. Or imagine a marriage that says, when it stops being fun, we're out of here. And and I don't know exactly how to say this, but I'm going to do the best I can. The issues that happen in those marriages will not come out of neutrality. They will not be objective in nature. When two people promise to stay no matter what, they are going to have a lot less trouble. When two people look at each other and say, we're out of here, if it quits being fun, they're going to have a lot more trouble. If you take that first marriage in which two people say, no matter what, I'm here for you, it's going to be a marriage of freedom. People are going to be free to be who they are. There's going to be closeness. There's going to be security and joy. You're still going to have problems. Yeah, people are still going to cause issues. You're going to have some inadvertent things, but there's going to be so much less worse. Why? Because there's a climate of commitment. Hey, I'm thinking about adding some vows to my wedding ceremony. Let me try them out on you and see what you think. I'm thinking about adding these lines. I will not leave you because the road becomes difficult or because life with you stops being fun for a while. Here's my favorite Or when being by myself again would cut my problems by 90%. (laughs) Or even when the people at work tell me I deserve better, I stay. What do you think about those? I like those. You show me two people who will say that to each other, and I'll show you two people who can make it. And on top of that, who can enjoy it, even though times can be rough. But you show me a marriage where two people say, hey, you know what, I'm in this as long as it's fun. When it quits being fun, I'm out of here. I will show you a marriage that's going to have all kinds of unnecessary trouble. For one thing, both people are going to be guarded in that relationship. They're not going to be free to be who they are. Why? They're always walking on eggshells. How do they know when they cross that line? How do they know when they cross that threshold when their partner says, I'm out of here? It's going to be unsettled, uncertain. It's going to be insecure. There's a feeling of temporariness. And when they get into a conflict, boy, it won't be long before somebody starts using the D word I don't know why I married you it was a mistake everybody tried to tell me I'll close with this I got a little poetic on this one will you forgive me for it glorious destinations are often on the other side of tough stretches of road travelers who arrive or those who travel through. I I was told the last service this. This is my fourth time to bring this talk. I've been dissatisfied with it every time. I never have felt like it really worked. You know why? There would have been something a lot more effective than me giving this talk. If I had this to do over again... I think I'd do something like this. I'd find 25 couples who've been married for a while and maybe been through some tough times. And I would have had each one of them to answer a statement that would have started like this. I would have just asked them to say, finish this statement. We made it through... (laughs) That'd be worth hearing. Our culture today thinks happy marriages are people that don't have problems. Give me a break. No. Happy marriages are not people who don't have any issues. Happy marriages are couples that make it through. They have rough patches. They have rough seasons. They have worse. They have poorer. They have sickness. They make it through. In 33 years of pastoring, I've seen so many couples that didn't really have to break up. I've seen so many beautiful stories that could have been written if somebody had just stayed a little longer. It's a powerful thing to make it through tough times. This is the most sensitive moment of the talk today. Could I ask a question? How many of you here today have had somebody love you through a bad time? When you weren't yourself, when you weren't right, when you weren't healthy, when you were weak. How many of you here know what it's like to have somebody love you through a bad time? If you know what it's like, you know that the bond you have with that person is incredibly strong. And I think that's what this whole vow is about. It's the unselfish vow. It's the vow that says, I know it's going to be rough, and I know tough times are coming, and there'll be times when being with you is worse than being by myself. But I love you, and I committed to you, and I stay. I stay. Did you know that that's what love is? Today, with entertainment, we think that love is like a Kansas thunderstorm. It comes up and it dissipates. How many songs do we say, I used to love you, but I don't love you anymore? Man, if you took that line away, you couldn't have a country and western song. Do you know what love is? Love is that feeling that says, even though... Things are difficult with you today, I stay and I still care. Let me let me put it to you in the words of the Bible. This is in 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. See, that's what love is. I take you to have and to hold, to love and to cherish. For better or worse. All you singles out there, you know what I've communicated to you. I, I've communicated to you that you need to find the person that you're comfortable making that promise to. Married couples, hey, you know what I love about God? I love this about God. He always will let you start over. Some of you who are married that maybe maybe your relationship has been a little bit tenuous in this in department and maybe you've said some things to each other that you're sort of embarrassed now after hearing about this. You know what might not be a bad idea? It might not be a bad idea for you to go home somewhere at a private moment for both of you to take your rings off and just lay them down and stand there and hold each other's hands and once again take your ring, your bride's ring and slip it on her finger and say, I take you for better or for worse and put it back on her finger and say the same thing to your husband, ladies. I take you for better or for worse because see, it's the climate of that commitment that makes things better. We didn't think this up. See, when you and I communicate, we take the person we love for better or for worse, all we're doing is we're just doing a God thing. You do know, of course, that when God invited us to be in a relationship with him, he took us for better or for worse. I mean, listen to what the Bible says. God said, I will never desert you, I will never forsake you. Aren't you glad for that? Because a lot of the things that we do are worse. And God says, I love you unconditionally. I love you. Well, the phrase that I keep finding over and over in the Bible God says, I love you with unfailing love. So when we do that, we're just doing a God thing. Would you pray with me, please, for a moment as I close out this talk? I want to go someplace different here for a moment. We close today by saying God loves us with an unconditional love. Can I ask you a question? Do you have a relationship with God? You say, Mark, how do I have a relationship with an invisible God? The Bible's very clear. It's by faith. In other words, it is by receiving God's unconditional love. Scripture tells us that although we are sinners, Jesus Christ, God's son, died on a cross to pay for our sins. The blood that came out of his body was currency that paid for our sins. And then three days later, he arose from the grave putting an exclamation point on the reality that he's God. And all God asks from you is for you to receive him, just like a bride. When you ask a bride, will you take this man to be your husband or a groom? Will you take this woman to be your wife? God is basically saying to you, will you take my son Jesus to be your savior and king? And when you say yes, that's all God wants, it's a gift. And that's what I'm asking. Have you ever invited Jesus to become your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, I'm going to pray a prayer right now with you that calls out for that. And you can repeat it with me. It's not the words that are magic. It's just what you feel in your heart. But if you would like to invite Jesus into your life, why don't you share this prayer with me? Okay? Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. But I know you love me unconditionally with unfailing love. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. Today I receive Jesus as my king. Yes, Lord, I do receive him. In Jesus' name, amen.